Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Precious Lord, we thank you once again. We just come before you, Lord. We ask for enablement or receive instructions from you. Or the mind, Holy Spirit of God, that you alone, Jesus Christ, be able to communicate your word to your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. We're going to continue with our um, study on redeemed long ago. This is going to be part number two. Redeemed long ago. That's what we're saying. That's what we're dealing with. Hallelujah. And uh, our main text is Revelation 13 verse number 8. Revelation 13 verse number 8. The Bible says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. By implication, the Lamb was slain, for the foundation of the world, and we know the Lamb is Jesus Christ, right? So the question we're looking at is, when were you redeemed? When were you saved? I mean, your redemption, where can we target to? Where did it begin from? Did it begin from when you were born again? Did it begin from when you had your salvation? You know, we're just looking at that. Because if the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, was it by the cross that you were saved? By implication, your redemption. Was it just by just the cross or before the cross? Amen? So it's like saying, how long have you or had God ultimately determined to have man saved and what provision did he make? Now, if you look, for instance, to the case of what happened in the garden, God was not taken on unawares that Adam and Eve have to eat of that tree. Because, you see, when he created man, he said all that he did was perfect, right? And in Genesis 1, 26-28, it tells us that we make man in our image after likeness, and let it have dominion. Now when you get to Genesis 2 verse 7, it now says man was formed of the dust of the ground. So you find that the Genesis 1 man is different, in quote, from the Genesis 2 man. Because the Genesis 1 man had no art in him, but the Genesis 2 man was formed from the dust of the ground. Are you there with me? Now, they are different, but at the same time, they are the same. How is that playing out? The Genesis 1 man is completely spiritual. The Genesis 2 man is both spiritual and earthly. Because you see, in Genesis 2, the Bible said, God breathed into man. Man became a living soul. Are you getting this now? Life was impacted to the dust man. He became a living soul. Oh, by the spirit of the father. So now the question is, if you take time to study, you begin to see that the fall itself was not just in Genesis 3. The fall was in Genesis 2. How is that supposed to be? Because you see, what will make man fall was introduced to man in Genesis 2. Genesis man is completely spiritual. Genesis 2, the dust of the earth was added to it. And that thing that was added to the spiritual man was what enables man to fall in Genesis 3. Are you following what I'm talking about? Right. Now, we are saying that before all of that happened, the lamb that will bring man back to him has already been slain. So the fall was not even anything at all as touching what God has in mind to do. Praise the living God. Are you there with me? Anyway, we just continue. So that you see 
from other scriptures as we're going to be reading. Go give me to Ephesians 1. Remember, we are dealing with Revelation 13, verse 8, but now go to Ephesians 1, verse number 3. Ephesians 1, verse number 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. According as he had chosen us in him, in who? In Christ, before what? The foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. But the point you need to pick seriously there is verse number four. What happened in verse number four? He had chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So you find that when the Lamb was slain, according to Revelation 13 verse 8, we were already chosen by God almost at the same time when he was slain. Praise the living God. Are you following this? Good. So, all that God intended doing from time, it was already simply, if I may use the word, accomplished. Your, your redemption was paid for even before you fell. I don't know if you're getting this. <laughs> because you see, we're going to take time to read. We'll go back to the scriptures later as we progress in this study. Jesus coming and dying on the cross was only a manifestation of what had already been done. Amen? The provision for the redemption of man was already made before man fell. That's what I'm saying. So even when Adam fell, it was not a shock to God. Because God knew he was going to fall and he made a provision even before Adam fell. Did you get that? Yeah. Now, if you take time to study that word foundation, it actually speaks in the Greek. There are two words coming together. It's tohu bohu. And tohu bohu actually speaks for that when you come time for crisis. Let's put it this way. If you are a sailor, or like a brother here, you sail, you know, boats and ships, whatever the case may be. If you get to a, a, a level ground where the place is not too deep, and your boat goes up there, it's called founded. The boat founded. That's that's the description. That's to say, it hit. It could be a rock. It could be sand. You understand that? The boat founded. So, and that's a term by which the word hubo is used. So, before, as it were, the the, the wall, which is now mankind, came to a place of standstill or grinded. Provision was already made before that happened. So everything that happened in the Garden of Eden never took God by surprise. Because he made provision for the restoration of man before man ever fell. And your choice, oh glory, your choice of becoming sons of God was made far back then. Hallelujah. You know what is going on? Even when Adam fell, God was already seeing sons coming back to him. He wasn't seeing, as we were seeing the fall, he was seeing sons. As a matter of fact, the fall of Adam was a trial. As to whether man will keep on obeying God, it was just a trial. Now, if you check what happened in the garden, the three things that Separate introduced. To Eve, it will make you wise, it will make you do this, it will make you do that. You understand that? All of those things were the things that the devil used to try Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. The same thing that happened in the garden is what happened in the wilderness when Jesus was tried. Now, when Jesus was able to overcome that, remember what happened? The Bible says angels came and ministered to him. 
And now it's like saying we now have a son that can rule the world. So what really happened was the dominion of Adam was what he lost. In relation to his sonship. I don't know if you're getting that. Give me Luke chapter 3 and the last verse. Let me show you something. Luke chapter 3 and the last verse. I'm sure. Let me show you something there. So he lost his dominion. Praise the Lord. The book of Luke chapter 3 and the last verse. Or is it chapter 2 and the last verse? Can you get it? Adam was the son of God. Is what I'm looking for. You understand that? When it was counted genealogy. Good. Chapter 3 on the last verse. Huh? Yeah, that's it. Okay, you can take from this. You, you know, when you count all the genealogies down, verse 38 of Luke chapter 3, and this is what he said. Which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was what? The son of God. Now, if you order translation, can we take another translation? Any other translation on this verse? I just verse 38. There's something I want you to pick here in relation to Adam. Cana was the son of Enos. Enos was the son of Seth. Seth was the son of Adam. Adam was the son of God. Are you getting that? Very good. So, Adam was the son of God. Now, the point is, in the truth, that identity never changed. He lost relationship. It's like the prodigal son. I don't know if you're getting that. The prodigal son lost relationship, but the relationship in terms of, I mean, lost position, but the relationship in terms of being a son is still there. I don't know if you're getting that. So what actually Adam lost as a son of God was what? Dominion. You get that now? So when Jesus was tried in that mighty 24, and he overcame the trial, the same temptation that Adam had in the garden, we are told angels came and ministered to him, by implication now we find a man that can have back the dominion that Adam lost. So that's why he referred to the first Adam and the second Adam. Are you following me? Now, we are saying, help me now, we are coming back to God because the choice of being sons was not made when you were born again. This choice of you being a son of God was already made before the foundation of the world. The same time the lamb was slain, it was the purpose of you restoring or being restored to sonship that the lamb was slain. And that's why I'm saying you were redeemed long ago. But it was manifested 2,000 years ago. So long before 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to the earth, your redemption had been paid for. I don't know if you're getting this. Like I used to say sometimes, salvation or being born again is just a remembrance of who you used to be before you lost it. It's the same thing you find with the prodigal son. When the Bible says he came to his mind, in a simple sense, his mind was renewed. Are you getting that? And so, the Lord will tell you, scripture will tell you, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. When Jesus said repent, why is that translated? Change your way of thinking. So the prodigal son repented by changing his way of thinking and he got back to the father's house. And you see, the father was still waiting for him even as he was coming. And when he, when he stepped to the door, the father never mentioned to him what he had done. He never described that he messed up, he sinned, whatever. It was himself. That was trying to say, oh, I have seen, I'm not worthy to be called, I'm not worthy to be your son. All of those things, he was the one saying them. The father never said anything about that. Can you remember that? And so you're coming back to God, God is not thinking about your past. He's not thinking about that. 
That's why Hebrews 8 say, their sins and their iniquity will I remember no more. He's not thinking about that. He just wants you to come back. In fact, he's by the gate waiting for you to come back. Why? Because you already paid a price. Long before you fell, the price had been paid. Redemption is not just what happened on the cross. It already took place long before that time. And that which happened on the cross, as it were 2,000 years ago, was just a manifestation, physical manifestation of what has taken place where? In the spirit. So you see in verse 1 there, what did it say there? You look at that again. Mm, now I got something here. Blessed be the God, verse 3, blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all, all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And remember, <laughs> According to Acts chapter 3, you know this story, where it said, he had sent the covenant made with Abraham to bless us. Has he blessed us? Now what was the blessing? That their sins and iniquity is forgiven. Is that okay? Very good. That's the spiritual blessing in high places. We've already received forgiveness of sin ever before he came to the cross. It was already a done deal. Slain before the foundation of the world. So, Already in the spirit, we are blessed people. Oh, come on. Somebody needs to get that. Did you understand this? No, let's start this again to Acts chapter 3. Give the two verses. Acts chapter 3 and the last two verses. And then you see what I'm saying here. That connects especially to Ephesians 1 verse number 3. Look at it. Acts chapter 3 verse... And the last two verses or the last verse. You know what you want. You are the children of the prophet... And of the covenant, that's in verse 25 now, which God had made with our father, saying unto Abraham, and in this shall nation of the earth world be blessed. What's the next thing? Unto you first, speaking about the Jews now, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to do what? Bless you. In doing what? Turning away every man, every one of you from what? From his iniquities. Heavenly blessings. So the first blessing we have, like you find here in that Ephesians 1 3, that's why it talks about we've been blessed in heavenly places where in Christ Jesus. And this took place long down the line before what you find in whatever you call the cross. Long, long time ago. We've been blessed. God sees us as his son long time ago. Is that okay? Come on. I will follow what I'm saying here. I need you to understand this. So your salvation is not just what happened 2,000 years ago. No. Your redemption was paid for a long time ago. Now what you are, what you are actually doing when you repent is to appropriate what happened long time ago to your life. It's like your eyes are open, like Paul would say in Acts chapter 26. Your eyes and your mind be open to the reality of who you were, and you say, I'm going back to who I used to be. Let me regain back my status. That's just your salvation. It's been paid for a long time before ever you were born. Hallelujah. And so, verse 4 now says, According as he had chosen us, oh glory, in him, in who, in Christ, before what? The foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blaming before him in love. And that's a powerful statement again. Anyway, let me overstretch this. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let me show you something. I want to show you this place I just read now. We're talking about we should be holy and without blame before him, what? In love. Okay, go to Ephesians 2, verse 25. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 25. Praise God. It says, Ephesians 2, 25, Husbands, love your wives. Are we there? Come again. Sorry, Ephesians 5, I'm sorry. No wonder you're confused. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ephesians 5.25, not 2. I'm sorry. Okay. Now you can pick it up. Okay, sorry. Ephesians 5.25, I mean to say. Husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church 
and gave himself for it. That he might. Now I want you to follow it because he said we should be holy without blame in love before him. Look at verse 2 here. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with all the washing of water by the word. Who is doing the cleansing? Christ himself. Who is sanctifying the church? Christ himself. Are you getting this? I want you to pick it because it's very important. Because he said that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's a strong statement. So, here Paul is talking about what he does to the church. What he's doing here? He's sanctifying the church. He's cleansing the church. He's watching the church all by himself. That's why salvation is a free gift. Are you there with me? Now, look at verse 27. That he might present it to himself, what? A glorious church, not having spark or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be what? Holy and without blemish. Who is doing that? Christ himself. So it's not about you, it's about him. And he's not going to get a church that is not going to be without blemish. Remember, you were revealed before the foundation of the world. You were called as sons of God unto God before the foundation of the world. And his intention is to clean you out to make you perfect before him. Praise God somebody. Are you seeing here? Hallelujah. I need you to think about this a little bit. That he might present it, present what? The church to what? To himself. So it's not about your struggle, it's about what he does. Everything that will make you perfect is in his hand. Are you still with me? All you need to come into that experience is to accept him as your husband, if you will. The husband is the one doing the job of bringing the woman to the place where he can be matured enough, presentable enough to himself, and he takes it to himself. It's not what you can do. It's what he does. And this is being done through the word. That means the word you are receiving is meant to produce some changes in your life. I think last week or there about, I showed you what happened typical of what the scripture is saying here what happened in Ezekiel chapter 16 can you remember that? very good so the pool of blood picked you up, cleaned you up dressed you up, nourished you remember that? that's exactly what salvation is all about that's what salvation Ezekiel 16 is a perfect description of what salvation is all about did you get that? that's why it's of grace it's the mercy of God. It's not because of what you can do. No. The perfect standard that even God wants you to attain to, you don't even know it in the first place. He knows it. He knows what he wants for the wife. Praise God. So, if you take time, like I said, to read that Ezekiel 16. Now again, if you look at, I think, Deuteronomy, you know, Exodus 23, you find the same principle. When he was talking about, I'm sending the angel before you, right? To drive out all those in the perizzi, the that. Say, but I will not do it in one day. Bit by bit will I drive them out that you may possess the land. It's a strong principle of what you call deliverance in relation to sanctification. All the seven enemies that were in the land, it was God that said he was going to drive them out. That you possess the land. So the enemies that are in your life hindering, if I may use the word, the way of God, the works of God, he is the one driving them out so that you can possess the land. Because he needs a clean vessel and is working to take away everything, like as we're in the promised land, so that you can possess your possession. I don't know if you're getting this. He said, all you need to do is to obey his voice. 
You take time to read it, Exodus 23. That's what he said. I'm sending my angel before you, and my name is in him. You remember that? Good. And he's going to go before you to drive out the Perizzite, the Jebusite, but he said, I will not do it in one day. Who is driving them out? God himself. So that you can possess the land. What he meant to say is, if you take time to study that, he's talk, talking about sanctification. Same thing was talking about here. That he will sanctify the church by the word. That is the principle of sanctification. It's making you holy by getting those things out of your life like he was taking them out of the promised land so that the children of Israel can do what? Can enter. That's sanctification. Praise the Lord. But the good news about it is that he is the one that is doing it. Amen. Glory. So here he said, he's working on the church that will present the church to himself. A church without spot or what? Wrinkle. That's why he said, we're chosen before him in holiness and what? In love. Right from the very beginning. He said, this is the kind of people that I want and this is the kind of people I'm going to get. You see, God will always get what he wants. So if you want a perfect church, he's going to get a perfect church. The devil will not be able to get you stained so that he can't get you. No. Praise the living God. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 9. Ephesians 2 verse 9 through 10. He said, not of works, let any man should boast. That's our salvation now. Is that okay? Right. Verse 10. For we are what? His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Unto what? Good works. Quit God out before ordained that we should do what? We should walk in them. Praise the living God. So, this is the main thing. To establish the fact that we were redeemed long ago. Even before the cross. Long ago, our redemption was paid for. The very time that Christ was slain, that's when your redemption was paid for. It wasn't paid for just halfway the journey. No. Before you began the journey, redemption was paid for. Are you there with me? Okay. Let's look at the ultimate preparation. Ephesians 1 again, verse 5. Ephesians 1, verse 5. Okay, we can take it again. Let's go back a little bit now from verse number 4, and then we we'll join it up. Now you get it. According to us, he have chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What's the next thing that follows verse 5? Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure what? of his will you see that so our redemption was paid for brought about our being adopted or brought back home the adoption here is this it's like what happened to the children of Israel you know children of Israel God referred to them as, their, as his first son is that okay? Right. So, Israel was adopted as his first son from Egypt. Was a son unto God. But he pulled him out of his system by the blood as well. Praise the Lord. Are you there with me? Now, the word predestination is very important. It talks about finished. It talks about bound or terminate. It talks about a boundary or limit which signifies beforehand. And circumstances are circumscribed by certain bounds or limits, like a geographical term, but is used for anything concluded or determined or demonstrated. Anything concluded. When we talk about predestination, in other words, our sonship matter was concluded ever before the cross. That's what predestination means. And you must understand, as you take time to read, we are predestinated into the image of his son. Predestination is not like, some people will say, well, 
Somebody dies in an accident. Say, well, you were predestined to die in an accident. Have you heard that before? Yeah, so that was his fate. Was predestined to die in an accident. Was predestined to die by fire. Predestined. No, that's not what predestination means in scripture. Predestination in scripture talks about being conformed to the image of his dear son. In other words, coming to the place of complete maturity as a son of God. That predestination. We're coming to the very image of Christ. Exactly who Christ was. That's exactly what we're becoming. That's what the Bible talks about. You've been the firstborn. You've been the firstborn of what? Many brethren. So the status he attained to, that's where we are coming into. And you must remember, Bible says, grow his status in wisdom. You understand that? Right. So we are coming to the place of the same status that he attained to in life. All of the wisdom, everything that he was ever working with, we are coming to the same position. He was only a firstborn among many brethren. That's predestination. We are not predestinated to die, no. Predestinated to, you know, some people will tell you some predestinated to, to be born again. Others are predestinated not to receive Christ. And so those who are predestinated to go to hell. That's no scripture. That's not it. Hallelujah. So the word predestinator means that which is concluded. Is that okay? And what is the conclusion? Everyone is going to be my son. All mankind that fell in Adam are going to be my son. He concluded that. He determined that. He sealed that up. When the son was slain before the foundation of the world. Remember, the scripture talks about, Revelation 13 verse 8 talks about the Lamb of God that was slain. Is that okay? Yeah, so... You must understand a lamb came up for sacrifices. That is say the sacrifice for redemption was done long before the fall. Hallelujah. So here it is used when we talk about what we're dealing with here in the book of Ephesians in terms of predestination. That's Ephesians now. With that we don't read verse number five. What do you think he's talking about here? Hallelujah. It's easier to point out God's fixed purposes or determination to bestow on us, if you want to use it, the Gentiles, the blessing of adoption of sons through Jesus Christ. The very same thing he did for the Israelites. Now, the implication of this is this the Israelites do not have any room to grumble. Why are the Gentiles coming in? Remember the conflict that was almost taking place between Peter and the brethren because of Colinius. Very good. What God is telling us from this person, the, the Jews do not have any prerogative to think that salvation belongs only to them. Remember, they said salvation belongs to the Jews. Oh, very good. I think John chapter 4, right. Salvation belongs to the Jews. That's their concept. That's their mindset. That's their thinking. So, but the scripture here is trying to tell us no, no. Even Jews or Gentiles will be predestinated to be sons of God ultimately. That is God's mind from creation. But the Jews came in first. And the Gentiles now followed. Is that okay? So you Jewish men, you do not have any right to think that you are the one only that has salvation or that doesn't have it. No. Paul is saying, before the foundation of the world, God have determined to bring even the Gentiles into the fold as what? As sons. So just like Israel was referred to as the first son of God, even so today, everyone that is in Christ is what? A firstborn son, if you will. Praise God. Because we are in Him. Are you there with me? Praise the living God. You know, sometimes one wonders, God doesn't always have a second child. Have you noticed that? <laughs> so, God doesn't have a second child. Abraham never have a second child. It's all one, 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 one. Is that okay? Right. And so, when Israel came and said, my firstborn, now we're all, no, it was a corporate body that was a firstborn. Not one person. The whole of Israel, the whole of the Jews coming out of Egypt, God refers to them as what? My firstborn. So, what do you think the church is today? It's the firstborn of God because we are you in Christ. Are you following it? Praise God. 
Hallelujah. So, here is, we are becoming sons as God has ordained without going through the religious rituals that the Jews observed. And that is why the Jews are very jealous about what is going on. The least expected that we can come into sonship without the sacrifices. But the point is this. The sacrifice for us are coming was done long before. So Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. So God had foredetermined the bounce of position of the land like it was in Israel. And I'm going to go into the promised land. He determined where the land was going to be, determined each portion for each person right in the land there. I mean, in Canaan, he made all of those provisions. It's the same thing. That's predestination. That is foreknowing and putting all the boundaries that each one of them should occupy. So can I tell you something? There is a boundary for each and every one of you within the body of Christ that God intends you to do what? To occupy. You have a land. Hallelujah. When they go to the promised land, they had their portion allotted to them. They were not their strangers. They came in as sons of God and they had each one of them their portion. That is why when you come to Christ, I think we'll be dealing with this. Like you find in um, Acts chapter 26. Remember that? Verse 18? Yeah. That when your eyes are open, you may receive an inheritance that belongs to you among those who are sanctified by faith. That is who? Jesus Christ. Everyone has an inheritance. Everyone has a portion. Everyone has a portion allocated or allotted to that individual once you become a believer. That's part of why the gift of the Spirit, the Bible says they are distributed according to how He wills to everyone to profit with them. Everyone is meant to profit from the gift of the Spirit. It's part of your portion for coming into the fold. Hallelujah. Amen. So all of these privileges of like the gift of the Spirit, manifestation of science, wonders and miracles, I am saying they are privileges that come to us before the foundation of the world, they've already been ordained. We walk in those things. That's part of the good work, like Ephesians you're talking about. That may walk, do good works. What are the good works? Remember, Jesus went about healing and casting out devils, and he said, "How the Spirit was upon him, and he went about doing good." Remember that. What good was he doing? He wasn't giving arms to people. That was not the good that he was doing. What was the good that Jesus was doing? He was healing people, delivering people. Right. So we are the workmanship of God created in Christ for what? Good works. And these have been ordained before the foundation of the world. So if you realize that, you are not in any way thinking of what am I going to do to be able to start manifesting gift? No. It's already your right. It's already your privilege. It's already a portion God gave to you when you were chosen before him before the foundation of the world. That will show our good works. So I, 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 I tell you this. You can start to do it just knowing it that you can do good works. What are good works? Healing the sick, signs and wonders, miracles. They are not meant for anybody else. It's part of the privileges that we can receive for being sons of God. Are you with me, everybody? Praise the living God. All of those gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, all of those things, they are the things that God has ordained that we can walk in and live by. They are part of the portion. And I'm saying these are the fruit of He that was slain before what? The foundation of the world. That we may come back to the Father as sons and begin to walk in dominion and authority on the face of the earth. Praise the living God. Are we still here? So here we find that the graces and the gift of the Holy Spirit that is being bestowed on the church with the things God has in mind right from the beginning. Without the release of these graces and the bringing of the Gentiles the world then its original purpose and design will be without being realized. In other words, if the Gentiles doesn't come in, if the gift of the Spirit doesn't come in, then God's intention from the very beginning it's not been realized. 
If you're not walking in the graces of the Spirit, if you can come in to realize that you are a son of God, then the ultimate determination of God's mind from the beginning is not be realized. So by implication, you're trying to tell God that he can achieve what he intended to achieve when Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. You see that? Praise the Lord. So I need you to understand this. Now you don't need to do anything. I want to be honest with you. It is not what you do that enables you to come into these graces. It's not what you do. It's rather in your believing into them. This is a right. Oh glory. Are you still there with me? This is a right based on your on your new bed. Now new bed in the sense of you just come to discover that. But it has already been there because when you were redeemed was not where you come to start talking about believing. No. In terms of your salvation. You've been redeemed long, long time before you were saved. Is that okay? Hallelujah. I just want you to keep this. Uh... Now, For God to achieve this, which is part of what I think we are doing as preachers, for God to achieve this is goal of bringing sons, many sons into glory, to manifest the gifts, the miracles, the signs and the wonders, to live supernatural life. To achieve that, he sent the apostles to go preach. So the preaching is what unveiled to you what has already been done before the foundation of the world. I don't know if you are getting this now. The preaching we are preaching is what, can I use the word, reconfigure your mind as to discovering who you are and who you were. So if you discover who you were, now you know who you are. And then the graces that accompany the spirit will begin to be manifested in your life. It's a matter of self-discovery in relation to the Holy Spirit. Because the Lord has said, I redeemed you before the foundation of the world. So apostles go teach these people and let them know, proclaim it. That's why it is called good news. I don't know if you are getting this. Praise the living God. So for God to achieve his goal, as it were in Christ, as the of the apostles to preach even to the Gentiles. Let's look at one more scripture. Oh, time is almost gone. Romans 8 verse 28. Romans 8 verse 28. Maybe we'll pick it from here next week again. Romans 8 verse 28. We may stop here tonight. Hallelujah. And we know. <laughs> Glory to God. And we know that all things work together for good to them, that love God, to them who are called according to what? His purpose. So there's a purpose for which God calls people. Now, it is not as if some people separated, as it were, certain individuals are not called, others are called. There is that general call which we know. For instance, we know that Israel was called out of Egypt. Is that not true? Right. You're talking about my firstborn coming out of Egypt. That's a whole nation. But within the nation, there is this call of the Levitical order to function as Levites, to function as prophets. Is that okay? Right. Those are different callings, quite all right. But there's a general overall call. So the church is called as one body. And so this purpose is that which has to do with the church. Look at the next verse. For whom he did foreknew, that's foreknowledge now, he also did what? Predestinate. To be what? Conform to the image of his son, that he might be what? The firstborn among many brethren. That's the purpose of the call. 
The purpose of the call is for us to become as Christ on the face of the earth. And that is God's ultimate design and desire even before the fall. Meaning, that word which he said, let's make mine our image after our likeness and let it have dominion, is still hanging on for all men to come back to that position. You following it? Right. So this is the point. We are predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. Hallelujah. We'll pick on this from next week. But let me show you something. Hebrews, give me Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 1, Amplified Translation. We can look at verse 2 and 3 in the Hebrew, book of Hebrews chapter 1. Okay. But the last days have spoken to us in the person of a son, whom he has appointed heir and lawful owner of all things, also by through whom he created the walls and the riches of space and the ages of time. He may produce, build, upgrade it, and arrange them in order. Look at the next verse. He is the sole word, expression of what? The glory of God. The light beam, the outrain, or radiance of what? Of the divine. And is the perfect imprint and very image of who? Of God's nature upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling. But what I want you to see is the image of the divine. What you cannot see in the in the in the spirit was made manifest in the physical. So Genesis 1 is the perfect imprint of God, but revealed in Genesis 2 as a human being. So Jesus came to demonstrate for us exactly who man was supposed to be. Let me show you this. And I close. A simple illustration is this. It's like God stood this way. He holds divinity in his hands. The divine nature, if you will. The spiritual man of Genesis 1. And he held his one together. Which is the man from the dust. And he brought them together. And he made. So within that man that he created, you have both the divinity or the divine nature and the earthly nature. So Christ was both God and man. And I will say, this man coming to unite to becoming one, these two people coming together, is just nothing but the Garden of Eden. The place where he wants to express himself. Praise the living God. So the art man was brought, the spirit man was brought, both of them meshed together and gave us one image like you see. So the divine nature, which is the spiritual man, is what you cannot see with your natural eyes. But the other aspect of him makes it possible for you to do what? To see him. And God intends you to come to that place ultimately, like you can see here, is the sole expression of the glory of God. Remember, let's make man an image of our likeness, let him have what dominion. Is that okay? Right. So, here man is becoming the light being, the outrain or radiance of the divine. Divine is that which you cannot see. The outrain means through him the light being is being expressed. The invisible nature of God is being made manifest by him standing on the face of the earth. And this is where God is bringing everyone to. Praise the living God. That you become the full expression, the perfect imprint, and the very image of God's nature. The very image, the very perfect image of God's nature is bringing everyone back to that position. This God ultimate mind. So the redemption that we are talking about is to bring this to pass. When God was slaying the, the lamb before the foundation of the world, this is what he has in mind to bring us back to the full express and image of the glory of God. Because that was God's intention from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28. Let's make mine an image, let it have dominion. And the Bible says. God formed man in his image and what? Likeness. 
And Jesus came to demonstrate to us what exactly that Genesis 21 is talking about. And so when Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, it is this that he has in his mind. God has this in mind. That's what I talk about. We predestinated to be called what? The sons of God. We're not just going to be sons as it were. We have to be sons that become the act rain, the act rain, the light being of the divine. Praise the living God. So this is it. This is where we are going to. This is the ultimate where we are going to. And at the fullness of this, you are going to be looking at, we may touch it by next week, you're going to be looking at the tabernacle of God is now with man. God expressing himself in the physical realm. Praise the living God. So friends, listen. You were redeemed long time ago before the foundation of the world. When Christ was slain, God's intention for you to come into the fullness of the glory was made manifest. And God is just pursuing that. So everything you are passing through is a walk towards what God has ordained for your life. And I'm assuring you, you're going to come into it. Praise the living God. Why? Because He's washing and cleansing and perfecting with the word that will take you to Himself what? as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And if God wants to do a thing, He will get it. So God is going to get you to the very place that you are doing for your life. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.